Um, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Man, it always shocks me. <laughs> there was about four of us in here when we got started this morning. I'm glad that everybody's here. It's good to see you. So today, um, the title of the message is The High Priest That We All Need, and you're going to see that comes directly out of the scripture in just a minute. But I, I just want to kind of gather us together this morning around this idea of what the Lord's already been speaking uh, through the testimonies this morning about God's faithfulness in the little stuff and the details of life that we would think shouldn't even be on his radar. Maggie, thank you for sharing that today. And then also Lizzie, just being aware of the Spirit's work around you and him drawing us to people that desperately need him. And that's going to be the focus of what we talk about today. So I love that. And then, of course, the, the worship this morning was all over that as well. Uh, today, we're going to finish up chapter 7 in Hebrews and dip our toe into chapter 8. Um, and if you want to open up to, to that, we're going, to be in, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 this morning. And as you're, as you're thinking about that, turning to that, I, I want to remind us that two weeks ago we had our joint service that Glenn gave us a challenge. And I want to bring this up again because, one, I want to make sure you've heard it. But two, I want to make sure we're internalizing it. Today, we're, we're God's God is kind of in the same theme. So don't be surprised that you're going to hear a lot of the same things that you heard from him and then also from me last week. Um, but the charge that he gave us was that we, we know him. We know how to hear his voice, uh, yet we, we often spend our time hiding together rather than being out in the world and sharing what we have experienced, sharing his excellencies with the people around us. And so Leah, thank you for that, that sharing of the Spirit this morning as God spoke to you through Lizzie's testimony. God's given all believers, not just you and I, the same, the same charge, and that is to, to be disciple makers. To teach, and that literally means to teach people the things that we have learned. Those experiences that we have with Christ are not for us alone. God's intent is for us to internalize that for us, for it to change who we are, and then for us to share that with other people. We ended last week by looking at the call of Moses, and I want to go back and look at that again because I breezed through it really quickly. And I want to make sure that, that, that we all see what God was speaking last week as we move into the message this week. Because when we talk about sharing our faith, I know immediately in my mind, and probably also in yours, because we're very similar, is that excuses pop up. Things that we think are going to hinder our ability to, to share the gospel in a way that is effective. Um, and, and I saw this last week in my reading with the story of Moses in a way that I hadn't seen it before. The first thing that we often are afraid of is that our past is going to disqualify us from ministry. And, and the reality is, if we think about it, all of us are sinners. We're born in that, right? We have zero control over it, any real control anyway. You know, as parents, we try to raise our kids to, to be, you know, good people, but we also know that you don't have to teach a kid to sin, right? And I can testify that in my own life as a child. No one had to teach me how to lie, but I have, was prone to it, you know? That's in us. And we all start from that place. And sin is sin. That We have these varying degrees of what we think is okay and not okay. And what we can let slide under the rug and what we, you know, what disqualifies somebody. But I want to remind us that Moses killed a guy, okay? Raise your hand real quick if you've ever killed anybody. Alex. Okay. <laughs> my, my point is, is that that didn't qualify, disqualify Moses from being used by God to deliver his people. And so whatever's happened in your past, whatever you think it is that it's so horrible that God can't use you anymore, it's just not true. It's just not true. The second thing is, is that we're afraid that we don't know enough about God to begin sharing. 
We think that there's some base level of knowledge that we have to have before it's okay for us to open our mouths. And, and, and church, that's one that I am very familiar with. It is a thing that, the, that Satan whispered in my ear for years and still does today. That I don't know enough to hold the position that God's put me in. And again, it's just not true. Our qualification doesn't come in what we know or what we offer. It comes in what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. And what we own, what we know, is what we're experiencing of God. And that's enough. God's activity in our life is enough to share. You don't have to know the Bible front and back. It's great if you do. That's an added bonus. And I think we should. We should study. We should learn. But that's not what qualifies us for ministry. It's God's activity in our life. And I love that when God is speaking all this to Moses, that Moses is like, what do I call you? Okay, that for me, that just kind of sets the bar real low of what you have to know in order to be used by God, right? And then the third thing is, is that we are afraid that no one will listen. That the things, even the song that, that David and Alex wrote, that's in that song. That you may be ridiculed, and people may laugh at you for what you share. But at the end of the day, that's not up to us. All we can do, it, it doesn't matter what area of life you are in, work, family life, friends, sharing ministry, whatever, you're going to say things that people are not going to receive. And it's okay. Again, that's one that I struggle with because I want people to like me, right? I'm, I'm extroverted and I enjoy being around people and it really bothers me when they're unhappy with me. But that's not up to me. If I'm honest with who I am, I'm the, the man that God's called me to be, if they don't like me, that's really on them. Now, don't take that too far. I'm not one of those guys of, you're going to like me or go find somebody else. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that if we are being the people that God's called us to be, if we're saying the things that God's calling us to say, the results are on him, just like in Moses' life. And I love that God prepared Moses in saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to listen to you, but go say it anyway. There's a lesson in that for us. That we're going to share our experiences and sometimes people are going to latch onto it and they're going to go, man, please tell me more. And sometimes people are going to look at you and say, you've lost your mind, right? I've had both of those experiences and it's okay. It's okay. So I want us to understand this today before we move forward, that God wants to use us to proclaim to the world around us just how good he is. That was Glenn's challenge. That's our charge as believers. That's what being a disciple maker is about. It's about telling people the truth about who Jesus is. And the way that that happens is just like it did with the disciples' life. It's by us spending time with the Savior. Spending time with Jesus, learning from Him, and then helping other people to understand what we've learned. So today we're going we're gonna to finish up with Hebrews chapter 7. Let's look at verses 26 and 28 together. And he's kind of wrapping up this argument that he's made um, with these, the argument from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. He's going to kind of wrap it up today in the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. He says, for this is the kind of high priest that we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the high priest do, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. If you remember when we first started this, the author of Hebrews is sharing with the church 
the problem that is inherent in the Levitical priesthood. Look at me in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. You'll remember this. He says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both sacrifice, both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently, and by he, he's talking about the Levitical priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. The author of Hebrews in the end of chapter 7 is drawing our attention back to where he began when he starts this argument of helping the people understand the inherent problems in the Levitical priesthood. The problem is, is that all of the priests that are descendants of Aaron are, are sinners. And that's what's different about Jesus, is that he's not. He's not from the line of Aaron. He's not from the line of Levi. He's made in the order of Melchizedek, this, this high priest who kind of came out of nowhere and was greater than all the other high priests because of who he was. He points out, and I want us to kind of see these against each other, the three weaknesses with the Levitical priests, and then compare that with what he says about Jesus. He says, number one, they're clothed in weakness, which is their sin. Number two, that they must offer sacrifices for their own sin before they can even begin to offer sacrifices for other sins. And then thirdly, that their priesthood ends with their death. And we talked about that over the last couple of weeks. That their priesthood will end. And he compares that to Jesus, these three characteristics that he gives. He says that he's holy, innocent, and undefiled. So there is no sin in him. And then number two, that he's separated from sinners because he's not one. And they cannot coexist. And then number three, that he is exalted above the heavens. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's telling them that his priesthood will never end because he will live forever. And that's why it's a better priesthood. So there's this paradigm shift that happens during their lifetime of moving from a system of religion that was comfortable and normal to something that was new and not well understood. And that's something that all of us in this room can relate to. The purpose of this letter was to encourage them by explaining the differences and what they had learned from the established religion and what they were experiencing as followers of Jesus. We've drawn from this idea before, but we are experiencing the same thing in our lives. Either we have or we currently are. I was having a conversation with um, my cousin, Eddie. If you don't have a cousin, Eddie, you need one. Just throwing that out there, okay? They're just fun. And, and Eddie and I grew up going to church together. He's a believer. Um, uh, we both grew up in the Methodist church. Y'all know that about me. But his, his son, who is 15, has grown up primarily in the Baptist church gone to some good churches. He's got a good base knowledge of scripture. And this year as a sophomore, he started at Menard, okay, which is, if you don't know, a local um, private Catholic school. And as part of that, he has to go through the Catholic classes. And so, and, and his mother and his grandparents on his mother's side grew up in the Catholic church. And so you got a Methodist with a Baptist kid with some Catholic grandparents and, and mom, okay? And so, as you can imagine, now all of a sudden he's forced into the, the Catholic faith. There's a lot of questions that are happening in their household. And, and as Eddie's describing this to me, it was just hilarious the way his son was interacting with his mother and his grandparents going, but wait, why? Where does it say that in scripture? Well, I don't know. I haven't re really read the Bible. Wait, what? I, <laughs> so there's this conversation that's happening, right? And, and the reality is, is we see the same thing in the Baptist church. I don't want to just poke fun at, all, at one particular denomination. 
We see that happen in the Baptist church. You'd bounce from about four or five different Baptist churches, you're going to see four or five different ways of doing church. Ours is no exception to that. We have our way that we think is right, correct? Right? Yeah, we do. Okay. So here's the thing. All of us are approaching churches different or approaching Jesus differently. The answer to figuring out all of that about who's right or who's wrong is for each of us personally to do what? To dive into Scripture, to study it for ourselves, to see what Scripture says about what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's our goal. That's my goal. I hope that that's your goal. And so today as we're looking at this passage, we need to understand that all of us need to pursue God and to know Him personally. For most of us, we grew up in dead religion. We grew up doing church activities because we thought we were supposed to, or like in my case, when I was a kid, I was told I had to, right? We, we've, we've been down that road before. Rather than knowing God for ourselves, we went through the motions and pretended that we were satisfied with the religious activity that we were involved with. The problem with dead religion is it requires us to depend on our own abilities, our own wisdom, our own tenacity to continue to move forward in that faith pattern, if you will. It requires us to do all the work. And what you and I have come to find throughout the course of our lives is that we're trying to, to fill this God-sized hole that's in us with stuff that we can do. I'm trying to fill a God-sized hole with will-sized activities and it doesn't match up. It's like trying to put the square peg in a round hole. It doesn't work. And we know that by experience, right? Most of the people that are in here have come out of that kind of religious activity and we feel like we ought to be done with that. But what I want us to think about today is that I think that we sometimes have created our own religious activity even within the gathering place. That we need to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge in us. The Levitical priesthood served a purpose, but it ended when Jesus died. That system of sacrifices, those rituals, all of those things became dead when Jesus rose from the grave. And so we need to be looking at our lives constantly saying, Jesus, is there anything in my life that I am just doing because I'm supposed to? And is there anything in my life that I'm doing that's dead that I shouldn't be doing anymore? You see, if we're continuing to, to rely on ourselves, that may last for a while and it may feel good for a while, but eventually we're going to find ourselves wanting more. We're going to get to a place where we say, is, is this it? Is this all there is to this, this Christian walk? Think about how many times you have bounced from church to church searching for something over the course of your life. Or think about how many times we've watched our loved ones do the same thing. Before we finally go, oh, hey, I should probably share with them all the cool things that are happening in my life as I'm walking in obedience to the Lord. I, I want to point that stuff out because our, our communities, central Louisiana, Louisiana, the South, is filled with people who are stuck in dead religion and have no idea. They're just going through the motions and they're like the kid on the slide that's tossing the rocks down. They're miserable and they don't really know why. And all they need is an invitation to come play. To say, hey, won't you come try what we're doing and see if you enjoy it. See if this speaks to you. What we think we're longing for is a church with better classes or a smoother preacher 
or really nice facilities. And, and what we've found over time is that none of those things bring satisfaction for any amount of time. Facilities get old. Preachers run out of stories. Classes get ruined. Like they just, that stuff happens. And if that's where we're looking for our satisfaction, then we're looking in the wrong spot. What we're actually longing for is Jesus. Look at verse 26 and 28 again. It says, for this is the kind of high priest that we need. When we're looking, when our hearts are searching, this is what they're searching for. They're searching for something or someone that is holy, that's innocent, that's undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. It says he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the priests do. First for their own sins, then for those of other people. He did that once for all time when it was offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. Weak, right here, okay? But the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who's been perfected forever. What he's trying to help them understand is don't, don't put your faith, don't put your trust, don't put all your eggs in the basket of weak men. Put your eggs in the basket of Jesus, the great high priest who will live forever. And as we talked about last week, that is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us all day, every day. I want you to think back on your own life. Think about how much your life changed after learning about, about grace. Think about how much your life changed after you learned about abiding, about what it looks like and feels like to hear from the Lord and then to walk into obedience and to see the things that only God can do. And think about how much that's changed your life. Think about how often God is revealing more of himself to you and how that affects your daily life. We were talking about this last week in, in life. We were talking about the fact that Jesus is interceding on our behalf and how revolutionary that is. And I was like, y'all, I've been a believer for almost 30 years and this feels like new information and it's lit me up this week. And Craig was like, bro, I'm a lot older than you and, and this is new for me too. And, and I think for all of us, this idea of interceding the fact that Jesus is there moment by moment, praying on our behalf, speaking about us to the Father. And people need to know that. That is some good news that people need to understand, that Jesus loves them enough that He's interceding on their behalf for a ballet class that's not offered in central Louisiana. Bar, you said, was the name of that? Jesus did that for her. God's changing our lives. And we are growing in understanding by experiencing His work in our lives on a daily basis. And there are a lot of people around us who don't even know that that's possible. That God would love people enough to be interested in bar classes. There are men, women, children all around us that are searching for something that's real, something that's good. And so many people look at a relationship with God as something that's extremely abstract. As if it is something that's not really touchable or tangible. But when you get to experience God speaking into your lives, into the circumstances, into the, the little things, including the, and the big things, all of a sudden what felt so abstract, all of a sudden it's tangible. It's got handles on it. It's something that you can see and that you can feel as you experience the Holy Spirit's work in His life. Jesus is what our friends, our coworkers, our, our teammates, our families, that's what they're longing for. When they're out searching for something better, that something better is Jesus. And we have that. If you read Tozer's devotional this morning, I, I want to remind you what he said. If you didn't, I want you to hear this. He said, God's gifts are many. His best gift is one. 
It is the gift of himself. Above all gifts, God desires to give himself most. God desires most to give himself to his people. Our nature is being what it is. We are best fitted of all creatures to know and enjoy God. For thou madest for thyself, and our heart is restless until it repose in thee. Our heart is restless until it rests in Jesus. That's what we're looking for. That's what the people in our lives are searching for. And they probably don't even know it yet. He referenced Colossians 2, verses 9 through 10. It says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in bodily Christ, and you have been filled by him who has the head over every ruler and authority. What Tozer's pointing out, what God wants us to understand in our life is what the people in our lives are searching for is Jesus, and he is fully in us. The answers to what they're searching for, we have it. Not because we're good, not because we're really learned, but because Jesus' Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's our qualification for memory, for, for ministry. In making this transition in Scripture of explaining how Jesus is the perfect high priest to also being the perfect sacrifice, the author summarizes this whole section from chapter 5 through chapter 7 in verses uh, 1 through 2 in chapter 8. He says, now the main point of what is being said, wrapping this all together, the main point of what is being said is we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not by man. So he says, if I'm going to take everything that I've said in chapter 5 through chapter 7, I want you to understand this. Is that what Jesus offers is something that is set up by God and not by people. The church is about Jesus. We don't want to point people to yet another man-made tabernacle, the building, or another leader. I don't want you to invite people to church so they can come hear me. I could care less about that. I want you to invite people to be a part of your life group, to be a part of our body, because I want them to experience our stories. I want them to get a taste of what it looks like to have Jesus speak into your life every day. And begin to experience that for themselves. We, we want to share our experiences with God to help others to see just how real and how good God is. To bring the abstract idea of a holy God into a, the tangible world of experiencing Him every day. Our stories, I've said this before, make God real in the lives of people that are longing for Him. Because they look at us and they say, if God can, can work in this person's life in this way, then surely He can work in mine too. Our stories are how we share with others the kind of high priest we have. You know, I was thinking this week as we were um, going, uh, I went to two different life groups this week, and I was thinking about this idea that Glenn was talking about, about how we're hiding the beauty of who God is. And I think that one of the ways that we're doing that is by hiding together in our life groups. Now, our life groups are fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. But most of the people, if you think about it, in your life group, we're there, we're enjoying the company of our fellow believers, but most of the people that are there are more than capable of leading a life group or hosting a life group. Okay, let's go back to the qualifications we talked about with Moses. You don't have to know anything except your experiences, right? You don't have to worry about if people aren't going to listen, right? You don't even have to know 
God's name. What was the third one? Hold on, I'm going to scroll back up. I don't want to miss this. Oh, your past doesn't disqualify you. You may say, well, I'm not prepared for that. Or I've done too much. People that I would invite to that know me too well and they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to listen to me. I think God would have something different to say about that. Most of the people that we know, most of the people that we know, last week I asked you to think about, or I said you probably are already in your mind, there's somebody in your life that you know needs to hear the gospel, who you know is looking for Jesus. My question is, have you been praying for that person? All we need, all you need is a willingness to obey God. And he's going to give you an opportunity to speak into that person's life. I would venture to say that if, if all of our members in this church spent the week, just the week, diligently pursuing the Lord, asking them how to share with that person, that very quickly we'd have multiple new life groups pop up. Because, here's what I know. I know that as I look around this room and I know you, I know that you walk with the Lord. I know that you have experiences with God and I know that there are people in your life who need to hear that. And when we think about life groups, often we, we blow this up in our mind as it has to be something huge and super and special and I have to know a lot of stuff. But when you go to a life group, what do you have? You got somebody's living room and you got a group of people who love Jesus and they talk about it. I'm looking around this room and I don't see anybody in this room that doesn't have a living room and who doesn't know how to talk to Jesus. Now, the question is, are you called to do that? Well, how do we know that? We ask Jesus. We ask him. I think one of the reasons that we're not offering to bring people to our life group, and I've, so I just swapped over. I'm, I'm helping with a life group at Monday night at the Felters. But we've had this conversation a bunch in my life group, the one that I just left, is that we can't invite new people into our life group. You know why? Because there's already about 27 kids in that life group, not including the adults. They're too big. Went to the Felter's house last night, or Monday night. It was wonderful, but you know what? It's too big. Not even, not even everybody was there, and the living room was full. The problem is, not crying babies, that's not the problem. It's not the problem. The problem is, is that we love each other. And we love being together. And that's good. But that doesn't just have to happen one night a week. Right? And there are other people in our lives who desperately need what we are enjoying. And so the challenge from the Lord, the challenge from me, the challenge from Glenn, is for us to really spend some time asking God, am I spending this time appropriately? Is this what you're asking me to do? And my hunch is, is that God's already been speaking to some of you about this. But because we love it so much, because I, I love it, Right? I went to, to, to the Felter's Life Group Monday night, and I was like, man, I've been wanting to come to this life group for like 17 years. This life group's always been good, right? I've visited a few times, and every time I go, it's awesome. And it always will be. But not because Lizzie and Alex's house is amazing, which it is. Not because the life group leaders are amazing, because they are. Because Jesus was there. Because they, they gather together, they drink a cup of coffee, Maybe eat a meal. And they talk about the things that the Lord is doing in their life. And you walk out of there just with the warm fuzzies all over you going, man, God is good. 
What I'm saying is we need to love people enough to make space for them to have that same experience. And in order to do that, we're going to have to become uncomfortable for a little while. It was hard for me to say goodbye to my group. But God was telling me, he'd been telling me, how long have we been talking about that, y'all? Life group, my life group. How long have we been talking about that? Carrie, you remember? Yeah, six, eight months, right? What? Whole time that Cassandra wasn't been here, right? But I had excuses about, well, I'm going to wait for this, and I'm going to wait for this, and I blame it on other people. And finally, two Sundays ago, God went, Will, come on, it's time to go. And then he forced my hand by calling Jake and Maddie out. What I'm asking is that don't be like me. (laughs) When the Lord speaks, just do what he's asking you to do. One of the scriptures that I read yesterday morning, and I just, I felt like it was necessary to bring this out. It's Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Because this hit me square on the forehead. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying, how long are you going to call on me and then not do what I tell you? I got a good friend. You've probably heard me talk about him before. I've known him since he was a teenager and he's a grown man now. I've got three kids and he often will call me and be like, Will, this is what's going on in my life. I don't know what to do. And he's asking for my advice. And so I will give him the best godly advice that I can and then he doesn't do it. And about three months later, he calls me like, man, I didn't listen to what you said, and this and this and this happened, and my dog died, and the truck broke down. You know, every country song you've ever heard. And he's like, I wish I'd have listened to you. I'm like, yeah, man, I, I get it. Next time. A couple months roll by. Will, this is what's going on in my life. Okay, do this. And then he won't do it. <laughs> I think I'm going to start telling him the opposite of what he needs to do and see if that'll work. He calls me one day. He's like, Will, I got this friend in my life. This is what's going on. And I told him, if you'll just do this, it'll work out. And he wouldn't do it. It makes me so mad. Okay, think about that for a minute. Shut up. (laughs) It's easy to laugh at my friend. But let's think about that. Let's put ourselves in that situation. How long has the Lord been asking you to do something? And you put it off. You make excuses. How long have I took me six, eight months to finally say, okay, God, I'm going to release what's comfortable. I'm going to step away from this group of people that I love so dearly. I'm going to go do something new that you've called me to do. So we look around this room. There's empty chairs here. There's plenty of room here. When we look in our life group, go this week. When you go to your life group, look around, see how many empty chairs are available. But it's not just enough to recognize it. We have to make the move into walking in obedience to what God's calling you to do. And, that, and just to be clear, to set the expectation, it may be that God's telling you to start a group. It may be that God's telling you to host a group. Or it may be that God's telling you to stay there and invite someone to come with you. This isn't saying that every person in this room needs to be a life group leader. That would be amazing if you were. But what I'm saying is that God is speaking for you to do something in your life. And you need to obey whatever that is. And this is not about church growth. It's not about numbers. This is about the people in our lives, the little boys on the top of the slide, tossing rocks, that desperately need to know that they are loved and that they matter. And us making space in our lives to make that happen. Because once upon a time, we were the little kid 
on top of the slide who needed someone to make space in their life. For me, that was Glenn Watley. Got fired from my job, had to move in with my parents. It was at the end of my rope. And Glenn said, I need a youth pastor who will work for free. It's like, peace out, bro. I need a job. <laughs> but he loved me enough to spend time with me, and it changed my life. And I'm not the only one who has a story like that. God's calling you to be a Glenn Watley in somebody's life. To make space, to have hard conversations, and to love them well. And so you're not, today, this week, I'm not asking you to pray about what Will's saying. I'm asking you to reflect and think about who's had an impact on your life. And then give God the opportunity to let you be that for somebody else. To let Christ that's in you be their hope for glory. To make room in your life to share what you love so much. Let's pray. God, it's not easy or fun to think about moving away from people that we love. Father, I ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters in this room, God, that you would give us a heart like yours. Like we, like we sang with the kids this morning, Father, that our heart would be Micah 6.8. To love justice, to walk humbly with you. God, that we would see the people in our lives that are, are thirsting for what you offer. God, that you would make us aware of that and you'd give us opportunities to love those people well. Father, that you would give us a heart to rearrange our schedules, to mix up what's going on in our life in order to make room for that to happen. Not because I'm asking, and not just because you're asking, but because we, we want to. Because we know how good you are, and we want others to experience that as well. Father, we want our motivation to move as you call, not to be out of a sense of duty, but out of love. For God, there work in our hearts to get us to that place where we're able to say yes to whatever it is you're asking. Jesus, I ask these things on my behalf and on behalf of our brothers and sisters in your name. Amen. Would you...